Today I'm your reader. If you'd like to be a reader, let Mary know and she'll put you on the list. I've had to wait for a few months to get this slot, so. <laughs> so let her know if you want one. Um, normally we would be reading the book of Acts, maybe John 3. Those are kind of the appointed texts that we often refer to on Pentecost. Um, but today I've selected the Old Testament reading, Ezekiel 37. This is maybe familiar to you, if not from scripture, at least from music. It's the story about the Valley of Dry Bones. The Lord, this is Ezekiel speaking here. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones, first um, that covered the, the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere, across the ground, and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live again as people? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put a breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, and then skin formed to cover their, uh, their bodies. But they still, they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life, and they stood up on their feet like a great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. And will live again and return home to your and you will live again and return home to your land. Then you will know that I the Lord have spoken, and I have done <clears throat> what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. <clears throat> A story of dead dry bones. And the question can these bones ever live? And they live again. And the question for me 
to you this morning is, are you afraid of living? If you listened last week, or if you were here last week, the message focused around the theme, are you afraid of dying? Today I want to know, are you afraid of living? So the context of this particular vision that Ezekiel had is that he was working on behalf of the Lord and he was a prophet. He was with the people before they were in exile. He went with them when they went into exile. So no matter where they went, he continued to be their prophet. And as their prophet, he has a heart, first and foremost, for God. And then he has a heart for God's people. And what's interesting here is that this valley of dry bones really represented for Ezekiel a decade of hopelessness. We know that this particular portion of the scripture was written about 10 plus years after the Israelites had been uh, removed from Jerusalem and Judah. The land of Judah, 586 BC, was done. It was completely crushed, destroyed. The people had been moved out of Judah into Babylon, where they were now slaves and servants in exile. And there was a glimmer of hope at the beginning that maybe this was going to be a short-lived occupation. But then one year turned into two, two years turned into three, from three to five to ten plus years. And the people of Israel had become hopeless. That they would ever see their homeland again. That they would ever be the people of God again that they would be able to live in the promised land again so Ezekiel being the good pastor that he is preaches to the people in exile as they experience this despair he tries to bring them hope in Ezekiel 34 I don't know if you remember we we talked about this text on Good Shepherd Sunday a few weeks ago. But in that chapter, what Ezekiel is saying on behalf of the Lord is that the leaders of Israel have been terrible leaders and that, that God has given up on those old leaders, that he is not going to let them lead anymore. As a matter of fact, he says, from this point on, I'm going to be your shepherd. I will lead you. And then he also says this, and I will send you a good shepherd, an anointed shepherd, a Messiah shepherd, who will lead your people into the messianic era, the messianic kingdom. So it is a word of hope for the people, but they're still hopeless. Ezekiel 35, he says, God is going to lead us back to the promised land and this time we will experience peace. And they hear it, but it's like it falls on deaf ears. They, don't, they can't hear it. Ezekiel 36, 
he again tries to tell them that, that God is coming to restore them to their land, that God will rebuild their cities. And again, the people despair and live in hopelessness. You could say that even after uh, Ezekiel's sermons, the people lived with, without hope. You might say that what Ezekiel saw in the vision depicted their lives. You might even expect the people of Israel to exclaim in Babylon, our bodies are all dried up and our hope is gone. Whatever glimmer of hope they might have had in the beginning, that was no longer there. And not only had that hope been extinguished, but the onslaught of enslavement and exile continued to take its toll daily, digging wounds deeper and deeper. I was struck by the vision, in particular the, the Hebrew words that describe the bones. Because they're not just dry bones. They are dead, dry bones. They are so dead and brittle, is the descriptive words that they're using here, is that it's like they're bleached out by the sun. So how could them bones ever live? Remember that song? Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones, dem bones, dem bones, dem bleached out bones, dem bones, dem bones, dem dead bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. The bones had no hope. It's a powerful image, but what's interesting is the question that God asks Ezekiel after showing him this valley of dead dry bones. Remember the question? Will these bones ever live again? Will these bones ever live? This has been quite a year and a half, has it not? <laughs> I, I'll take an amen to that. <laughs> I mean, we here at New Covenant, uh, we've ex been experiencing our stresses. But I'll, I'll tell you that not just us, but I, I have never seen a period of time where leaders have experienced such extreme stress in terms of their leadership. The challenges that they confront, the anxiety, the tensions. I mean, you, you take a look at what happens for us on a micro scale at the school and the church I mean and it's a little challenging um, at, on days believe me um, but you know then to expand that I mean it, it's impacted everything I mean do you find any peace in the church today I mean looking at the church wide do you find any peace and any hope in, in medicine today we can't agree on, on things in medicine do, do you find any any, well, the, at least we can find some hope in our political system, right? Okay, maybe not. 
you know, this has been the most stressful year and a half that I can remember in a long time. Maybe in a generation. And it's been no different for us as a church. We've lost some of our worshiping community. A few families, for different reasons, have gone to other churches. Our, our, our giving is down. Not every church has experienced that, but we have experienced that. Not huge, but it's significant enough that the board notices. And our membership hasn't grown, obviously, other than maybe a few new people online. So the question becomes, how do we live as a church? How do we not just breathe, but how do we have life? I mean, we're not supposed to admit that stuff, right? That, you know, we're declining. Um, but show me a church that isn't. And I think that what is needed at this time is some honesty and some perspective and to let you know that, that we have had this church at the center of our thoughts, our prayers, our focus as leaders this whole year and a half, even though we haven't been able to see you all. And as I think about this church in this past year and a half, one of the things that I have noticed is that we have some dry, dead bones. That we haven't been filled with life. And that's not just a reflection upon you, that's a reflection upon me and upon our leaders. And so one of the challenges for us becomes that same question that God asked Ezekiel. Can these bones live? Can this church live? Can New Covenant live? Ezekiel's response is interesting. You see, I'm kind of like Ezekiel. Some of you are pioneers. I mean, you are charging ahead in front of everybody. I admire you so much. I am not a pioneer. I'm an innovator. I'm kind of like the moth that kind of hangs back to watch the lead moth fly into the flame so that I know not to do that. And so as I take a look at the church and the churches and I see the dry, dead bones, the question that God asks Ezekiel, I think, is an important question for us. Can these bones live? Can this church live? I mean, look at how we're put together now. It's bizarre. Two years ago, if you would have told us we're going to have 50 chairs out and some people will have masks on, some won't, and some of you are happy to be here, some of you are not sure you should be here, and that's kind of the new world that we live in. Do I go into Safeway or not? And so the, the question that God is asking, or 
to, to Ezekiel is, well, these bones live. And Ezekiel's the one that hangs back a little bit because he has the answer that I would have answered. He says to God, only you know God. <laughs> See, the pioneers would jump in and say, absolutely, that church can live. Or no, that church is a dead pile of bones. Just go beyond it. That's what the pioneers would do. Ezekiel and I, okay, oh, God, that's up to you. You let us know. Well, this is what God says to Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, if you don't know the answer to that question, then watch this. Watch this. And he transports Ezekiel into a vision that is the most spectacular vision that you can imagine. Because the first thing that Ezekiel sees is this vast valley. It's also defined as a plain. So you can imagine it's like a low plain area with a dip in it, kind of a little body, a little place where water maybe flows on occasion. But that valley, that body is filled with dead bones. Filled. It's like a, a whole army was slaughtered there and left. I mean, not, not just left, but left there to rot and decay. They weren't buried properly. And you know, a proper burial in Ezekiel's day, which would be similar to today, is that you would be buried immediately after your death, within that first day, within that first 24 hours. And that you'd be buried in a, a cave or a tomb or some place. Your body would be there to, to decompose. And then when you needed that tomb for the next family member, maybe a year or two years down the road, then you went and opened the tomb up. You took now just the dry bones that were left and you would put those into an ossuary so that when God came again, that those bones could be resurrected and bring, be brought back to new life. That's what Ezekiel and the Israelites believed. You kept the bones together so that it wouldn't be difficult for God to bring it all back together again. You oftentimes had a single ossuary or you maybe had a family ossuary where you would collect all these bones. But the purpose of the bone collection was for resurrection that that body would come back to life. So the vision then is one of despair because there's no way that those bones could ever be resurrected. As messed up as they are, as spread out as they are, as confused as they are, I mean, this femur goes with that tibula over there. And, and, and so how do you put it all back together when you don't even know which part goes with which so the first vision first part of the vision is this valley of dry bones and that's where God asks Ezekiel can these bones ever live again and then God does something interesting he tells he tells Ezekiel to do two things two things the first thing he says Ezekiel prophesy to these dry bones Tell these dry bones to hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel is probably sitting there thinking to himself, 
So, God, you want me to preach to these dry bones, this lifeless group of people. You want me to preach your What do you think I've been doing the last 10 years? I've been preaching to them that very message of hope, and they haven't been listening. But God is persistent. God says, no, preach to them. Those dead, dry bones preach this word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. And as he began to preach to them, the bones began to listen. And then something amazing happened. There was this big rattling sound. It was like a a shaking sound. And the bones started to come together. You know, that fibula and that tibia, they came together. And before long, these bones began to become skeletons. And then what was interesting was that then the skeletons began to form muscles and organs and flesh and sinews all over these skeletons. And then that wasn't it. Then skin began to form over these bodies. And all of a sudden you had resurrected bodies. Bodies that had been dead, bleached out, abandoned, now had come back together. The problem is that at this point, they're still just lifeless corpses, dead men. It says, after the skin covered the flesh and the bones, they came together but there was still no life in them. There was still no life in these dead corpses. Dead men. We call people on death row dead men walking. That's kind of what they were. On the outside, they looked like human bodies. But on the inside, there was no life. There was no breath. There was no spirit. And so I thought, maybe the church isn't that valley of dry bones that I kind of thought we might be earlier. Maybe the church is in a little better shape. Maybe we've been resurrected. Maybe we've got some, some skeletal structure. Maybe we've got some, some organs and some flesh and some muscles and some skin. But if that's the case, we're still missing something. We're still missing the breath, the life, the spirit. You might say that if we were to describe that today, we could say that the church looks quite beautiful on the outside. We've got beautiful buildings and campuses and our landscaping. Um, We've got pastoral images that we like to call upon, the, the green meadows and pastures, the, the bubbling stream flowing through the green meadows. We have majestic cathedrals. We have all these powerful images of the church. But what's on the inside? What's happening inside of the church? 
Do we look more like the men and women on death row, waiting for our day of judgment? Someday I'm going to die. I want to do my bucket list. Woohoo! Even if churches were doing okay, and I don't think we are, we'd have to admit that the pandemic has done a number on us. And so we're left with that question. Are we dead corpses? Or is there life? Is there life in here? Yahweh, this wonderful name for God, Yahweh is not finished yet with Ezekiel. Remember he told Ezekiel two things? The first thing was, well the question was, can these bones live? The first thing was, prophesy to the bones that they might live again. He does that. And then God says to Ezekiel, now prophesy to the wind. Let's read that here in verse 9. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they might live again. Breathe into these dead bodies. Life. Whereas in the first prophecy, Ezekiel spoke to the dry dead bones now Ezekiel does something different he calls upon God the wind to breathe life into the dead men what's interesting here is in the Hebrew it takes in the English translation three words to describe the one Hebrew word the Hebrew word is ruach and what it means in the beginning of this story of Ezekiel's dry bones is that Ruach gets interpreted as breath, breathe life into these dead bones, right? So it's breath. And then in verse 9, the one that I just read, it is call upon the wind. The wind is another interpretation of that word for ruach. And the wind comes from God. Call upon God, the power of that wind, to breathe life into these dead corpses. And then we'll see it again at the end of our reading today, verse 14, when he refers to ruach, that the spirit will live in these resurrected bodies that now have life. The spirit is the third way that we interpret that word for ruach. God is masterful as he gives this vision to Ezekiel because we begin with breathing, with this word for breath, then we go to the wind, and then we go to the spirit. So what is necessary for the church to live and to thrive today? We need to breathe, first of all. Some of us haven't been doing very well with that. Secondly, we need to call upon the wind, the power of God. And thirdly, we need God's Holy Spirit to come down upon us. Oh yeah, it's Pentecost, isn't it? 
So, what we have here is bones that have come back together with flesh and skin now coming back to life. What preaching was not able to do, prayer and worship makes it a reality. So when we talk about prayer, we're not just talking about our individual prayer time, but we're also talking about our worship time. So, so preaching and worship and prayer are the two things that God calls Ezekiel to tell the dry bones. Today, we see more clergy retiring early than ever before. Some are just kind of quitting, um, going into condo sales or whatever. And, you know, it's a bit disheartening, you know, because to see so many leaders that have burned out or that are burning out um, amidst this crazy year and a half that we've had. And I think part of it is that these leaders have felt responsible for life, for everything. And so as we go through this pandemic, I mean, the first few weeks it was like, okay, we can do this. <laughs> After a few months, it's like, wow, this is nothing like what they said. And, and now, you know, a year and a half later, you wonder, when does this ever end? And so it becomes dispiriting in many ways. The divisions that it creates become challenging to navigate. And we all get hangry or angry or upset or, you know, but, but it's been like relentless in some respects. And so how do we live as the church in the midst of that today? How do we keep, I mean, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere, uh, unless you want me to go somewhere, then you need to worry. Um, how do we keep our church leaders, our pastors, connected and doing well? And I think that uh, a pastor that I know shared an illustration this past week that I thought was just so spot on, and I wanted to share it with you. You see, for many of us pastors and church leaders, many of you are church leaders, for many of us, what we have done is that we have bought into the idea that we are responsible to fix everything. And, you know, before the pandemic, a lot of pastors were able to kind of do that. You know, you'd get a crisis here and there, you could field it. And, um, but, you know, then a year and a half ago, it was like, whap. And it was continual. It was like pushing you down all the time. And, and before long, it was like, I can't do anything. And what's interesting is that my friend said that when somebody is ill, when they're hurting, um, what do you do? You take them to the emergency room, right? If you don't know what's wrong and you need to have them checked out. Now think about the shape of our emergency rooms this past year. <laughs> think about the shape of India's hospital uh, system today. I mean, it's crushed. And, and so um, 
we have thought that we are the ER doctor, many of us, and that you just need to bring the people in and we're going to fix them, we're going to heal them, and we're going to forgive them, or we're going to empower them, we're going to equip them, we're going to send them out, we're... and that works okay until your health system crashes. And then all of a sudden, you're in despair and you have no hope, even as a leader. And so I think that's what's happened to a lot of our pastors. What my friend said was, we have misplaced the metaphor. He said, we are not the ER doctor. We are the ER receptionists. (laughs) We're the ones that are supposed to do the triage. And we're going to guide you to the doctor who just happens to be the great physician, Jesus. And Jesus is going to heal you. Jesus is going to forgive you. Jesus is going to empower you with his spirit. And so you don't do that. You let God do that. But sometimes it's kind of attractive to be known as the doctor. (laughs) So we like to do that. You know, that question, can these bones live, is such a permeating question. Because we might be able to put a few things back together ourselves, but we cannot transform lives. Only Jesus can do that. And do you remember what Ezekiel teaches us about transformation? That we begin by preaching the word of the Lord to the people, but then we preach, we pray to God. We worship God. And we call upon God to come and to bring his spirit to bring life to the church. To those dry dead bones. To those lifeless corpses. The apostles were sitting in an upper room waiting for Jesus' promised gift to come. We'll have to just admit that they were not the stellar group of apostles that you would expect with Jesus being the Messiah. I mean, before the whole experience of following Jesus, they, they were mediocre at best, right? And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, you would think at that point it's like, woo, man, we're ready to go now. But no, I mean, Thomas is adamant. No, there's no resurrected Jesus. I got to put my fingers in his hands. I got to put my hand in his side. The women come back from the empty tomb and tell the disciples, and ah, no, you're crazy, you ladies. Then you got the two disciples from Emmaus coming back. We've seen the Lord. And, no, you haven't. I mean, these are the disciples. Even when Jesus ascends into heaven after spending 40 days with them, as he's going up into heaven, it says they worshipped him and some doubted. (laughs) It's like, come on. (laughs) But that's what happens when we try to do it, right? Yeah, when we try to do it, then then we we don't get transformed. We might get fixed a little bit, but we don't get transformed. Because transformation is God's work. As Ezekiel preached 
to this group of dry bones. Listen to the word of the Lord. That was only part of it. He also needed to call upon God to breathe life into these dead bodies. I cannot raise up the dead corpses around New Covenant. You cannot bring life to the dried, beat, uh, the, the dried dead bodies and bones that are laying around. We cannot do this. That's why that word rock is so important. Because it not only calls upon us to breathe, but it calls upon us to trust. To trust in the power of God's spirit. This is true for the apostles, and this is true for the Israelites. God promised to take the Israelites home, and God promised to be present with the apostles. Even as they made their way into the world, now with the power of Jesus, with his spirit with them. And this is true for us here today at New Covenant as well. You see, through discipleship, through our relationships, through our connections, through some birthing missional communities and house churches that we envision and see happening here in the future, through these things, God will breathe life into this church. So the thing that we can do in the meantime is stop pretending we're the doctor and stop expecting our leaders to be the doctors. Let's start by being the receptionists again. You know, welcoming, triaging, guiding people to Jesus. Because when we do that, then we begin to answer that question. Are we afraid of living? Because if we're not afraid of truly living, we will allow God to fill us individually and the church with the power of his spirit. The question might be, are we listening? I mean, weekly, are we listening to the word coming to worship? Are we, secondly, are we praying to God, asking God, please come to us individually, come to our church, fill it with your spirit. That is how those dried dead bones came to life and lived again. And that is how we will live again. So are you ready to listen and to pray? Amen.